Welcome back to Basic Bible 101. This is Margie Smith, and we are covering the New Testament. We are on our fifth lesson in the New Testament. Last week, we covered some of the teachings of Jesus. We talked a little bit about how controversial his teachings were and how it kind of flew in the face of the uh, political and spiritual leaders at the time. And because he was beginning to gain great popularity, Jesus was getting an awful lot more criticism. And so he began, he was able to do miracles all the way through his ministry. But at this point, his miracles start to become um, criticized as well. And so let's look at just some of the um, stories about some of the things that Jesus was able to do. Okay, let's start in uh, Matthew 8. We're going to start with a story about a man with leprosy. And I'm not sure how much you know about leprosy, but at one time leprosy was a horrible debilitating disease which basically just caused the the body the the um, nerve endings to stop functioning and what would happen is you would then wound yourself you know you'd slam your hand in the door or stub your toe but you wouldn't feel it and so pretty soon what would happen is people who had leprosy had all kinds of wounds on their body and they looked very uh, disgusting so people would stay away from them at this time in the Bible blood was looked upon as being uh, unclean in many ways and so they would withdraw from anybody who had leprosy it was a contagious disease and and as well they want, did not want to get it and so people with leprosy were forced to live outside in the uh, outside of town in little colonies leper colonies and really as late as the 1800s there was a leper colony um, on in Hawaii and many of you may have heard about that where um, a famous uh, priest, he's famous now because of his work with the lepers, um, was able to show kindness and really uh, rehabilitate and um, help these lepers overcome their their stigma, society stigma. So, and nowadays there's quite a few treatments for leprosy. We don't see it very much anymore. But at this time, it was very much a um, kind of a little bit like we would say AIDS, only more so because it was so obvious when someone had this disease. So let's look in Matthew 8. It says, uh, and it's talking about Jesus. When he came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Okay, this is a reference in, uh, to the Old Testament. When someone had been healed, they were to go to the priest. I guess the priest kind of blessed the healing as, and gave God credit for it. And then um, it was uh, that person was considered clean and able to walk among society once more. And so Jesus is more or less saying, hey, just so that everybody knows that this really happened, go in and offer yourself to the priest. All right, through this, we see that um, Jesus was, you know, able to look at individuals a little bit like we talked about last week with the Samaritan woman. He was willing to stop and see people in need. And here he says, I am willing to, to um, heal you. Look a little bit further in this same chapter of Matthew 8, down around um, verse 14. 
It says, when Jesus came into Peter's house, now Peter is one of his disciples, uh, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with the fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with the word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what the spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took us up our infirmities and carried our diseases. So we see that many people are hearing that Jesus is a healer, and so they go to him to be healed. Uh, this about demon possession, I'm sure, opens a Pandora's box for many of us because we hear of uh, exorcism even today. And I'm not going to make any specific comments on it. I do believe that there are spiritual beings in the world that are not good uh, spiritual beings that are evil. And so I suppose this is totally possible. I've never seen it myself. But I would encourage you that Jesus is the one that um, that heals and uh, cleanses even people who feel like I've just got spirits beyond what I what are even normal, what are human. And so... Um, like I said, this is a very controversial subject, and many people say, well, that's just a way of dealing with psychosomatic illnesses. And it may very well be that in this time, that was their way of um, talking about somebody with mental illness, that they were demon-possessed. And I, I can't say that one way or the other. I, I do know that um, no matter what the problem is in someone, whether it's physical, mental, or deeply spiritual, that there is healing in the Lord. Okay, uh, let's then move down to another passage where it says, uh, turn over to Mark 6. Remember, we are going through all four Gospels at the same time. They're, they're parallel in many ways, and some of the stories occur in more than one Gospel. Some of the stories occur in all of the Gospels, uh, and, but they're not sequential. In other words, they, they can be in a different order in a different Gospel. So that's why we could not cover the Gospels um, you know, through Matthew, then through Mark, then through Luke, and then through John, because we would keep repeating the same stories. So instead, we're just hitting the highlights. I would definitely encourage you to go back and study that in more detail. And I want to bring up a very good resource while we are podcasting called Nelson's Complete Book of Bible Maps and Charts. You can find a link to this uh, on my website, basicbible101.com, that will take you to it. This is an excellent book to get, and in it, it compares, it's a, it has a section on the harmony of the Gospels, and it shows where each story is uh, referred to or spoken about in each of the Gospels. It also has what it considers a basic timeline for when the different uh, stories were spoken or um, events took place. So this is on page, I guess it's 298 of the uh, Nelson's Complete Book of uh, Bible Maps and Charts. Those of you that are group leaders out there, you can also, it has quite a few good maps in it for the Old and New Testament, and you can copy them and use them with your students. That they, uh, The authors of this book gave the right for that, but it cannot be used, of course, for commercial purposes. So I cannot copy it and just set it out there for anyone. It has to be used in a more um, classroom setting. So I just want to encourage you to maybe get that and look through it, and it will give you a little bit more understanding of when the different events happened in the gospel. I am trying to follow it somewhat, uh, but some of the stories overlap, as we have mentioned, and so it looks like we are skipping around, but in truth, we are covering some major themes, the first being Jesus' birth, the second being 
the, the call that he put out to, to people to come to him. The third, the teachings, what he taught people. And then this one, which was the miracles of Jesus. And then finally, we will get into uh, how his life ends. And so what ha- actually happens during his uh, trial and crucifixion and then the resurrection. And those will be in the next two weeks. So, and then we will get into more of the story of how the early church grew. But at this point, we're looking at uh, how Jesus' popularity just exploded. And so now, not only does he have a few people coming to somebody's house, but he is beginning to have people come from uh, all over the place, you know, miles away, and they are coming by the thousands. So it forces Jesus to begin to go up in a hillside to teach, go out on a boat beside the lake to teach, whatever he can do to uh, broadcast his voice a little bit further. Okay, now if you turn to Mark 6, um, we're going to read just a few of the verses there, starting with verse 7. When Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. Uh, These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but uh, not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. Uh, They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out the demons and appointed many sick people, anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Okay, so we see that now some of Jesus' power is being transferred to his disciples, and he is sending them out, so even more people are being reached. We see the beginning of the Jesus movement. And, of course, because of this, there's even more controversy about it. Um, If you look down in verses 30 through 44, it's in your student homework. uh, You probably covered this. It's the story of how Jesus feeds the 5,000. What happens is that there are so many people that have gathered around Jesus, and they've been with him most of the day, and they they are hungry. And so instead of... um, just telling him, okay, just go away as the disciples want him to. He says, just, you know, give me whatever you can find. And so they find um, the uh, just a, a few loaves of bread and some fish. And he blesses it and passes it out. And uh, they are able to feed everyone, all 5,000 with that little bit of food. So Jesus is um, feeding the people physically as well as healing and teaching at the same time. Now at this point, Jesus tries to get away by himself for a little while, but the people just keep following him no matter where he goes, and so it becomes very pressing upon him. And so even though he is trying to uh, get away from people, they just follow him because they so... uh, believe that he's speaking words of truth. Okay, Um, let's see. Let's look at Matthew 17. There's another story here that will will kind of epitomize what's going on during this um, third year, the height of Jesus' ministry. And it is um, a very mysterious little passage. And so let's look at it. And it's something you will hear referred to again and again. It's called the Transfiguration. 
And what happens is that Jesus takes a couple of his best disciples, the closest ones to him. He takes Peter and James and John, three of them, and they head up on this mountain and he's told them that we're going to go up and pray. And yet while they're up there, um, a cloud descends and there is this um, these bright uh, like figures that show up that are just shining. And they the way that it's described is they look like Elijah and Moses. And so then they hear, um, well, their response is, let's look at it in verse 4. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. What he means by shelters is sort of like a altar, a pay tribute to their presence here. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I have loved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Then the disciple, when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. This to me was such an awesome way for God to uh, show his, his key disciples how clearly that that he is the son of god he is the messiah and because they had this glimpse into the heavens into the eternal plan of god uh, it, with for mankind i think it made them stronger and more able to understand after jesus was crucified because the by while he's being going through the trial and being crucified, everyone deserts him. Even the, even their faith, they doubt at that point. But when all of that is passed and Jesus has risen from the dead, they're confident because they know they're. In fact, they're almost shouldn't be surprised, and yet they are that that God uh, brought and did what He said in bringing His Son to bring us eternal life. Okay, so those of you that did the, the homework lesson, you will see some of the answers in this passage. Um, I'm wondering if we have had seen something similar to that. Would we believe uh, that Jesus was the Son of God? Would we have been so overwhelmed? Sometimes we do uh, are allowed to see glimpses into the supernatural, and I think when that happens, um, it changes us. Now, not everyone, and I think people could go their whole lives and never really have a um, a supernatural moment but uh, those of you that have and that do you understand that sometimes faith can be almost physical okay let's turn to another lesson that's in this part turn to John 8 we're gonna look at one more passage before we um, begin the slow descent of Jesus down into Jerusalem uh, and really to face his own death uh, John chapter 8 Okay, let's turn to verses 12 through 20. Okay, because people hear about these stories, I'm sure those disciples explained, hey, we saw this weird thing where Moses and Elijah showed up. Plenty of people were explaining about how they'd been healed or um, how they'd been fed from just, you know, 5,000 were fed from just a few fish and, and a couple loaves of bread. And so... A lot of people are saying, well, who is this Jesus? You know, he's not trained as a Pharisee. He did not uh, train under some um, rabbi. He pretty much is a homegrown boy. And how can he have all of this power? So let's look and see what people were saying. 
Uh, John 8 verse 12 when Jesus spoke again to the people he said I am the light of the world whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life the Pharisees challenged him have you uh, here you are appearing as your own witness your testimony is not valid Jesus answered even if I testify on my own behalf my testimony is valid for I know where I came from and where I'm going but you have no idea where I came from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one, but if I do judge, my decisions are right, because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law it is written with the testimony of two men that the testimony of two men is valid. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. So so even though he's saying I really don't need anybody to testify that I'm the the Son of God he says, but if I say so, and if God says so, then that should be good enough for you. Uh, then they asked him, where is your father? So they can't figure out who he is talking about since he talks about God as his father. And that's a very personal relationship with God who they consider so holy they won't even say the name God. They have little um, abbreviations or little side words because they are afraid that if you invoke the name of God uh, it could be terribly dangerous for you that God could hear and, and punish you. And so um, so they say where is your father? Now at this time we tend to think that Joseph, his earthly father, the one who raised him, not really his biological father, uh, was out of the picture, that he had died sometime before this, because we don't hear him mentioned at all. And so more than likely that has been the case. And so they're not talking about, um, at least Jesus is not talking about his earthly father. They think, well, what in the world? Maybe he is talking about his earthly father, or, you know, who is he talking about? Uh, Jesus says to them, you do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sins. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you and uh, that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked. Uh, Just what I have been claiming all along, Jesus replied. Uh, I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is reliable, and what I have heard from him I will tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. Okay, so we see Jesus explaining very clearly who he is. And the the people who are listening to him, some can hear and understand, and they believe that if they don't put their faith in Jesus, they will die in their sins. Others are still skeptical, and they back away, and they just keep thinking, what is he talking about? Um, They can't really accept that he is the Son of God. Uh, they they can't accept that he is the Messiah they've been waiting for. 
Okay, let's look at one more example of uh, Jesus in uh, explaining who he is. The thing is, the reason I cover this in such um, detail is because it's the one thing that people are always asking, who is Jesus? Why should I put my faith in him? What has he ever done for me? These are questions that can only be answered answered in the Bible, that you have to spend the time to read what Jesus said and what he did to thoroughly get the picture of why he came on this earth and why it's important that we personally know him. Okay, look down in uh, Luke 9 verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? He already knew pretty much who the Pharisees said he was, but he said, Who do the crowd say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others uh, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, Who do you say I am? This is a question that all of us must ask eventually of ourselves. Who do we say that Jesus is? But Peter answered, The Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very life? These are powerful words that he says to his disciples. He's asking them to commit beyond just following a good teacher. He's asking them to commit to their death, just like he is going to have to face. And so when Peter understands that he's the Christ, this is the Christ, he gets it. Jesus is then challenging him, okay, Well, if you're willing to take up your cross and follow me. He clearly says that he is going to be dying on a cross. And yet his disciples can't really accept this. They kind of back away from it as though they're just not sure that Jesus, you know, he surely he can't mean that he's going to die. We see that the crowds themselves are, whoever he is, they like him. And so they're hopeful. And many of them hope that he's going to be their ultimate a redeemer, uh, savior from the Romans. There's one more story, and then we'll be done with our lesson for today. If you will turn to John chapter 11. Uh, one of the other interesting things about G- Jesus was that people just really could not figure him out. Just when they thought they had him figured out, he would surprise them, even his own disciples. And here we see that Jesus is has already told them that he's going to die and on the third day be lifted up. He, he says that um, we must go to Jerusalem. The time is coming. It's, you know, I will be go there for my death. The disciples have heard this, but they just keep avoiding Jerusalem and keep Jesus busy doing other things. Not that Jesus was ever distracted by the disciples. He knew exactly what he was doing. But we see that he continues to finish out his ministry on this earth. Um, An event takes place that surprises everyone. Um, Jesus hears of his good friend Lazarus um, being very, very ill. In fact, Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and both of them were very dear to Jesus. The whole family was. 
And so Mary, they think, may have been the one that, you know, poured oil on his feet or just spent time listening at Jesus' feet, whereas Martha was much more of a servant for them. There is an interesting story about Mary and Martha, and if you have time, it'd be a good story to go back and read. But for our purposes, we are past that to where now Lazarus is very ill. And they call for Jesus. They say, come, come. And Jesus gets word of it. He's quite a ways away. And instead of leaving at once to go to his friend and to heal him, which they all know he can heal, he delays. He said, no, no, the sick, uh, look in chapter 11, verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Okay, two days was rather critical because during that time, Lazarus dies. And remember, Jesus has said, it's not for death. Um, Jesus begins... The, the disciples have not heard of that he had died yet. And so suddenly Jesus says, it's time for us to go. And they know that he's going to be going to visit this couple, this family, this uh, brother and two sisters, which are right outside Jerusalem. And so they're worried about him going there because they know that he is putting himself in danger. And they think that the danger for Lazarus has passed. And so they say, uh, you know, Lord, you sure you want to go? You shouldn't probably go. And Jesus says, um, Lazarus has fallen asleep. And then they say, well, if he's sleeping, he must be getting better. So we don't need to go. But Jesus says quite, quite plainly to them, no, Lazarus has died. And so they head down. And on as he's arriving there, uh, down in verse, let's see, 17, it says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Okay, why do you think Mary stayed at home? You know, she had loved Jesus so much. I'm sure she was deeply disappointed in Jesus not coming right away. I think Martha, who ended up having more faith, when she came to Jesus, she said, our brother's already died, but you can still still heal him. I mean, she had faith even beyond the grave. Um, when Jesus, pretty soon um, Mary uh, comes out to meet Jesus, and um, she's weeping, and... Uh, we see that uh, he says, where have you laid him? Come and see, they replied. And so Jesus goes to the tomb, and he's outside the tomb, and he's weeping. There's a lot of questions about why would Jesus weep. He knew he was about to heal and bring forth Lazarus. Or, or perhaps he was waiting for a word from the Father on what to do about that. Um, I think Jesus wept. This is a great picture of how he shares our sorrows. And he saw his friends, Mary and Martha, and he he felt for them. He hurt for them. And so his love comes through in the way that he um, expresses sorrow on their behalf. But God gives him the um, initiative to say, to rise and say, uh, move the stone, move the stone. And as they, they keep thinking, oh, no, it's four days. It's going to be really smelly. And they say, no, Jesus has moved the stone. And then he calls for Lazarus to come forth. And Lazarus comes out with all of the 
uh, burial cloths on him and everything and he is alive and they can't believe it so this incidence of Jesus actually bringing someone back to life is a picture of what is going to happen with him but the people don't realize that at the time instead they just see another amazing miracle that Jesus has done now Lazarus did go on to die it wasn't life everlasting uh, he came back to this earth because he was called back and yet uh, from here on Lazarus is just a mortal man what we will see when Jesus rises from the dead is that he is supernatural he is no longer human as we know it he is uh, uh, has a new body but unfortunately Lazarus just got back his old body um, I'm hoping that as we cover the amazing things that Jesus did and why he created such a stir and why it was that people didn't understand what he was doing there and what his purpose in the world was will help us understand next week when we see Jesus enter Jerusalem with such praise, with a giant parade, with everybody saying, oh, Jesus is here, he's our Savior, and they're so happy. And then within a week, they are calling for him to be crucified. And you can understand that a little better when you see that despite all the miracles, he does things they don't understand, like waiting to come to Lazarus. And and because they don't really get who this Jesus is, they don't know how to put their faith in him until after he um, rises from the dead. So uh, let's stop our lesson there. Some some things to remember is that Jesus did have power over death. Um, we see this picture of him as a foreshadowing of what is to come. Jesus wasn't just a good teacher. He was a miracle worker and master over death. At the height of his popularity, thousands of people followed Jesus, even though they didn't really understand who he was. Jesus feels our hurts just as if they were his own. He was fully man and can relate to all our troubles, but he also was fully God. Okay, I want to encourage you to do your lesson for next week, which will be Lesson 6 in the Student Workbook. If you would like to purchase a student workbook, they can be, um, you can find the link to do so on basicbible101.com. And there are some other resources there, the references to the books that I have mentioned, the Basic Bible um, Handbook for Leaders and uh, Guidebook for Leaders and the Student Handbooks, as well as the... Um, uh, if you wanted to buy one of the uh, student Bibles, you can. there's a link there for that or for the uh, Nelson's Complete Book of Bible Maps and Charts and some other resources that I have mentioned over the course of our study. Okay, thank you so much for listening. And until the next podcast, I'm just praying that God will bless you in many, many ways and that you will be able to see and know and understand who Jesus really was. Be blessed. Be blessed.